Welcome to Tech at Lunch, the podcast that satisfies your hunger for all things tech while you enjoy your midday meal. So grab your sandwich, tune in, and let's dig in. Hello, I'm Nick. Hello, I'm Edward. And hey, we don't have, uh, you know, John this week, um, you know, had a kind of a, a little of emergency that he had to deal with. So we'll catch him around next time. But, you know, while we're, we're waiting on him to come back, we decided to deviate just a smidge from our brand and maintenance side of the house and kind of step back into the cybersecurity realm here. And we started talking earlier about um, cybersecurity recommendations and um, added manufacturing. And that's something that we want to kind of kind of pin on. We were talking about it, you know, between the two of us, that we really haven't hit that point yet. You know, we hit your mitigation, we hit your risks, and we hit your, you know, how to, how to, how to help with some awareness topics. But we never hit with, and we did, I know we hit some recommendations in there during the mitigation phase, but I don't think we really kind of dove too deep into some of those topics. And uh, that's kind of what we want to do today. So we want to talk about, you know, any recommendations that people may have for, um, you know, for the cyber side of the house. And, you know, and when you start talking about, you know, recommendations and stuff like that, um, your mind might be going the same place I am, but what are you thinking? Oh, I would say the very first thing I would do is uh, ensure that you do not have any default passwords uh, configured on any of your devices that connect to the net, to the Internet. You mean password one, two, three ain't going to work? That or a manufacturer's uh, password, the you know, admin password. Yeah. Or admin one, two, three, or whatever. I, I would verify that those things have been changed. Um, I would say one of the other things I would um, recommend is that whatever devices that you are allowing to connect to your uh, network, you would understand those MAC IDs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe um, document that somewhere so you know what normally is supposed to be connecting. And then I I would say maybe another thing is uh, quarterly or even more than that, uh, uh, change your passwords. Yeah, I I think that the the 90-day rule for passwords works. Um, I know I'm kind of guilty of sometimes not doing that on, on personal passwords, but I know like work events, work passwords and stuff like that, I do change them. Um, you know, because it's kind of required. However, you know, we all got to get better at it. And like you said, the, the, the understanding what MACs you have on your on your on your in your network is absolutely paramount. You know, when it comes out of it, what and if you can, I, I highly recommend to hard IP all of your devices. Make an IP tree um, where it kind of talks about you know here's the IP address and my host name for each one of my devices, you know, and y'all go in and rename your phones um, to what they are. Um, Also, you know, do a host name rename on your laptops. So it's not like Windows, you know, or like Windows NT 10.4, you know, or Windows Home or Untitled, you know, because the thing is, is all we have to do is spoof that, spoof your IP address, and on your network, you never know I'm there. You know, so make sure you keep an IP or, you know, IP tree written down on a sheet of paper someplace where it's not accessible by others. Um, you know, keep it on your phone, keep it on wherever you can get to it pretty quickly to see if you see if you're at risk of, of, of an incident. 
um, you know, just for your own personal well-being. But that's just, you know, you know, my thought is to always kind of know, like what Ed said, know what's there. And if you don't know what's there, you're kind of freaking shooting yourself in the foot. And then the follow-up on that, then that's where you would start setting up whitelists and blacklists. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you can just set up a whitelist and everything else is uh, not allowed. Right. Um, so you don't have to have two lists. You can just do one list and anything that's not in that whitelist is not allowed to uh, access your network. Other thing I would look at and I would highly recommend is segmentation. So I would uh, definitely have a guest network, but a guest network that is segmented from your personal network. I would also segment if I have anything that I'm doing as far as gaming that would have its own network um, that's been subnetted. So mm-hmm. everything needs to be on its own subnet. So segmentation with subnetting. Yeah. And then uh, I would uh, have anything that I have that I'm doing, any type of, uh, um, say, um, work or anything that's dealing with something that I need to make sure that it stays uh, secure or stays um, not in the public domain, I would also have a segment for that. So with its own subnet. Now, you know, we started talking about this, the the subnetting and, and whitelisting and stuff like that. And y'all at the office, you know, in your in your your locations, if you're doing this, if you're doing ad manufacturing at you know home or in a manufacturing sense, there are two different you know barrels of truth here. Because if you're in a manufacturing sense and you're on the shop floor or stuff like that, you have or should have firewalls in place and segmented firewalls and network rules and stuff like that. If you're at home, um, set up something called PFSense or set up something like, like a firewall that you can look at. You may not have all the controls you would have, you know, in a manufacturing environment. You may not have everything that normal people would, that, you know, that you would have if you had the ability to run, um, you know, network cables in your walls and, you know, set everything up that way. But you can still take a default um, a router that you get from AT&T or anybody like that, and you can configure a guest network on it. You know, so you they keep so you keep their traffic separate from yours, and you can set up, you know, use limits, you know, on it. But you know that, or you know, that's if that's what you know the way you want to go about it. You can also go into the ubiquity world and transmit everything off of it, and then from that to a a, a router on the other end. You know that's more than okay. You know more than usable. If you're in a if you're in a manufacturing environment, definitely VLAN out all your equipment. Every single piece of your equipment should be on its own VLAN, um, especially if you're running multiple like Stratasys machines, doing different things or different other printers doing different things. Segment them off. You know, hey, I've got you know a set of DLP machines, or I've got a set of resin machines that require network access. Or I've got a set of um, um, FTF machines, um, you know, that you're working with. Um, or, you know, any of the other type of, of additive, you know, side of the house, you know. It's, you know, separate those by via their, their own VLAN. And then once you VLAN those off, then segment, then seg- then segment each machine from itself. 
So just to follow up on what Nick was talking about, if you're deciding to use your service provider or your ISP, um, what they call a modem, basically, a modem slash uh, switch, what I would recommend is you can do that, but I would recommend connecting a physical, um, I would say, managed switch mm-hmm. that gives you a little bit. It, you can use PFSense because this is probably one of the standards. You can use Ubiquity. But there are, other, there are other brands out there that you can use, but the, the important part is that you have a physical device now that's in between your modem slash switch that connects to the outside world, so your DMZ. Mm-hmm. So you allow that device to be the DMZ. Then from there, you actually have the, point of, the first point <clears throat> of entry into your network. With a managed switch, you can do the things that we were talking about. Set up VLANs. You can uh, segment networks. Set up whitelists. Um, uh, only allow certain web services to run that are required. Um, these are some of the things you can do. But the benefit of that, now I can connect another wireless access point, which is the wireless access point to my actual home network. So that, that those are some of the benefits you can have by physically setting up a device because that's more, uh, it takes a little bit more to get into a managed switch mm-hmm. as opposed to an unmanaged switch or a wireless access point. Like I, I use personally, I use the Ubiquity Liner product. Okay. Um, that, that is my personal personal bet. Use you know, Ubiquity at home, Cisco at work. However, Ubiquity is certainly, but surely, but surely, slowly but surely taking over the, you know, the stock that is available for Cisco, just because of what it is, ease of use. You know, it's all done by your phone, done by your laptop, it's all cloud-based. It's great. You know, it's a great piece of kit. You know, the thing is, is if it's not used properly, it can become a hindrance. Same thing as Cisco. Cisco, you do something wrong, and guess what? No one has access now. So, are we saying that, you know, take your entire network and block it out and make it, you know, an immovable force? Not really. But it definitely helps. You know, protect what what you need to have protected. And it's like if you start talking about, you know, say shop floor segmentation. Shop floor segmentation is a totally different animal. You know, when you're talking about that I'm going to have a firewall for each individual cell that I'm working in. You know, and you can break those down. Okay, cool. I've got three cells building this, two cells building this, two cells building this, and that could be, a, say, four printers. So you have one firewall over four printers in each individual area. Then only certain, you know, members of your staff have access into through that one firewall to deal with that set of four printers. That's always one way of knocking it down of where you have pure segmentation of where people aren't working on stuff that they shouldn't be working on. However, I also believe in the fact that if I have a stack of machines and they're caged off in their own protective you know, bubble, then they have their own laptop or desktop that's running slicer software and software to that machine that could be pulled from the intranet. At that point, everything is through the intranet. And somebody has to drop that file through the through the interior in, internal firewalls to a so, to a hard to a software repository inside the production environment for somebody to pull through that firewall down to that down to that that, that, that particular node because everything should be its own node um, and everything should be its own node in the chain is how I look at it. 
Another thing that I would uh, I would uh, strongly advise is firmware updates. Mm-hmm. Ensure that you keep your firmware updated on all devices that connect to your network and actually the uh, modem slash uh, switch that is the normally provided by the ISP. Uh, later we'll get into some solutions to that. And then also I would uh, update wireless access points and so forth with firmware. Uh, Keep in mind, though, when you do these things, make sure that you make a, uh, a backup so that if something uh, is not compatible during the firmware update that you're, you're able to get back to a working system. Yep, I have that same problem. <clears throat> I, you know, I, I've had that problem with my equipment. Um, still, to this day, have that current problem fighting through. So, but, you know, that's only because there was a, a slight jumble in the problem. It's like, for example, on my 3D printers, I run Clipper, and Clipper requires routine updates. It also requires routine updates to the OS level for the OS level to work with the application level or the application layer. Um, so sometimes, like the other day, my entire system decided to, you know, say, dude, I'm not doing that no more, and stop printing completely. Um, so, however, that's only because of a bad load from you know, through the the, the, the the package repository. However, if I wouldn't have caught it, I'd have had, you know, multiple type of defects, you know, through my system and stuff like that. But the thing is it also opened me up for any type of impact. However, everything that I'm pulling, if and which you should only pull if you're doing anything in a printing environment, should all be through GitHub. GitHub or an SVN. Um, if you're pulling software into a repository, it should all be through SVN, source control. Because SVNs and GitHubs and stuff like that, you get GitHub for um, for your for companies, and it's all screened. GitHub screens all of that. Why use your own equipment if you don't have to? You know, if you can't afford that equipment, if you're a new startup, or if you're a home-based company or something like that, use the software that's provided for you by the big three. You know, Google, Amazon, couple other ones, right? Or Google, what is it? Google, Microsoft, and Apple, the big three. Um, however, because their software is already provided for you, and GitHub is not directly part of Google, Microsoft, or Apple. It's cross-compatible applications. They are the biggest name when it comes down to SVN right now. Um, unless you're using like a Jira backend or something like that, which or a Confluence or something like that. If you are, hey, you know what? 100% backing you. On that, and you're using, you know, um, um, you know, Jarvis, you know, what is it, Jeeves? I think it's Jeeves now, um, and other types of, you know, deployment apparatuses. If you're using that, hey, I'm, I'm all for it. You know, keep it coming. Um, you know, if you're getting into Kubernetes and stuff like that, Kubernetes clusters and Kubernetes deployments, then, hey, you know, I'm, I'm about back you 110%. But those pull from a GitHub or a source control system that will scan that hardware and that software for you. And it does scan STL files. So, you know, it's, hey, I'm not gonna pull anything unless it's part of my GitHub. And they, they scan it going in and coming out. And everything's, t- everything's out as a zip file. Everything is single file in, zip out. So always use your source control. Source control is a saving grace when it comes down to understanding what packages you have on your machines. 
you should always know kind of what packages are available, I would think, on your machine. At least that's my standpoint. I could be wrong. But that's just what I believe in, is you should know all your packages. You should know where your packages are coming from. And your package manager should always be coming from a source control you know, repository. One of the big ones on, on Linux or GitHub or, or one of those affiliates. So another thing I would do is uh, you can also um, adjust your Wi-Fi uh, footprint. So you can say that I only want this footprint to be this amount. So instead of broadcasting, say, 20 foot outside of your, your uh, residence, you can uh, clip that and keep that inside the residence. Uh, it's, it's probably, in my opinion, um, it's not that much more to use mobile outside if you have to. Uh, uh, I would, or if you're using it outside and you are using it as a point of entertainment, I would even, you know, make that bubble smaller. The smaller your footprint, you know, the less of an attack surface you have because there are uh, several applications that you can use across all platforms, Android, you know, across Linux, Windows, across Apple products, iOS, um, that, that use uh, apps to sweep and uh, search for Wi-Fi um, access points. So they're, you know, looking to find um, entry points into your network. So if you uh, make your footprint smaller, in a sense, it's harder for that person to sit out in their uh, from the street corner and try to uh, sniff your wireless access point and uh, search for vulnerabilities. Now, why, why wouldn't you just hide your your access point name? You could, but it still doesn't hide the footprint. Right. So it it hides the name, not the network. Mm -hmm. So I still can, from the street corner, if I know that it's an access point somewhere, I don't care. It doesn't matter if it has a name or not. It just matters from the point of view that there is a network there. From there, I can use other techniques to discover the name. Uh, I can use dumpster diving and things like that. Um, if, if, you were some, if you were a target that was uh, um, interesting enough so that I could get an entry point in some time mm -hmm. into your network. Sometimes it's not about where they enter. The entry point is just a, just a portal to get somewhere else. Yeah. So, you know, when you start talking about, you know, wireless activity and stuff like that, you know, I'm a big person on hardline. I like my, my stuff is somehow hardline. However, when you come, when we, start, when we start talking about wireless activity, what type of, say, Security, are you looking for WPSK? Um, or what type of authentication, secret key, or anything like that? Are you looking for? I, if it was me, my system, I would have a system that where you where your phone, it was something you have, so something you are, and something you have in particular. I would uh, have my network so once you entered my uh, zone, I would recognize the device because it's in a whitelist. And then that whitelist would say, hey, either catch you or I would use some type of uh, um, two-factor uh, authentication to verify that that person, uh, whether it is you enter a code or something, but mm -hmm. you, can only get, you can only gain access once you're in that area. 
So I would actually make some type of tethered system with your uh, mobile phone that's been allowed inside of the whitelist. And, uh, you know, you wouldn't have to do it each time you connected to the network, but each time you entered into the network. So if I was accessing the network or after I did all of the authentication, then I'm good as long mm -hmm. as I'm in the network. But as soon as I leave the bubble or that footprint for that wireless access point, then I'm automatically disconnected. And I have to do that re-authentication each time that I leave mm -hmm. and re-enter into that network. Now, you know, you, when you talk about that, that's kind of like geofencing. Correct. It's the, it's, the, it's the basis of geofencing. And geofencing is a, is a great tool. Um, geofencing is great if you're building, and this goes to, you know, how I'm going to protect, you know, apps in the workplace. Inside my workplace, I'm going to set up a geofence. So my apps that I give you for my workplace will not work once you leave my geofence. You cannot get back in my network unless you have a VPN setup. You know, and only certain people really need a VPN setup that I have to actually do, you know, day-by-day -day operation. It's, that's the one thing that, you know, that kind of drives me nuts about certain things is I, I get that people work from home. However, they should not be using, they should not be using, you know, VPN. You know, some of these guys, they don't need it. You know, you if you don't have a job that requires you access to, you may have access, need access to you know, email and stuff like that. Cool, you got an OWA for that. You go through the internet. You don't need a, you don't need a you know a two factor authenticated freaking um, 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 VPN to access files and servers and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I think if you're not a job that requires it, you shouldn't have it. You know, and I think everything else should be whitelisted other than that. You can go through OWA. Mm -hmm. You can file whatever you need in OWA and do it on the machine that I that I give you. However, you don't if you need an email to somebody, you have the right email. If you need, you know, fact if you need to have a, a VPN, sure, set it up for you. However, I don't think that it should be on every single machine. Mm -hmm. Just it's you know, reducing your impact. Yeah. And then I would say that that probably just to get close to wrapping up, probably some of the other things to do is just common sense mm -hmm. things. Uh um when you have guests, ensure that the guests are connected to the guest network. When the guests leave, those devices should be purged from your system. Mm -hmm. Do not do not retain those devices. You know, once the time frame is over, that can be something that you can do manually, and just say, "Hey, forget this, forget these devices." Well, um, most machines you can do that automatically now, though. Yeah, you you can do it on so automatically work too. But the the only reason I say. I think, unfortunately, sometimes we, re we rely too much on systems that do things automatically. And if it's some compromise to that system, then if you don't periodically do a spot check, then you can find yourself after the fact that mm -hmm. you've been compromised. If at least you check in, in like you do with your passwords and you change them every 90 days, at least if you're verifying your network at least, I mean, I don't think it's a stretch to do it once a month just to verify what's on your network, you yeah. know, and what's new in the range of your network. Well, and that's the thing about, for example, that I like about Ubiquity is Ubiquity will send you a, a text message or notification that's awesome. when something's on your network that's not supposed to be there. It says, hey, I'm, so this, this guy's new. Do you, do you approve of him being here? Okay. Yeah, I know who it is. You know, and it'll kind of, you know, let you know know what it is and, you know, stuff like that. And also, you know, the range of IP address you're using. Mm -hmm. You know, so you definitely have those machines out there. 
that will tell you, hey, I've got something new on here. Um, and it's like if you start talking about like you know in a, a manufacturing environment, you start really getting into the fact that you know if you don't have the right MAC address, you don't belong on my network. And from the time I set your, your equipment up, I have your MAC address. So you're already in my whitelist. You're already allowed to connect on my network. However, if you have a personal phone and you're at work, you can't connect with the, net, the Yes network. However, that should still be moderated because you should not be able to get to a internal system through the Yes network, even if it is through a web, ba- a, a, a web browser. Mm-hmm. So, for example, somebody should not have a phone connected to a guest network for your company that can connect back to your company's OWA. You don't you don't want to have that loop. I get it, people leave phones, laptops, whatnot at home. However, it's not very hard to get back in your car and go back and go get it. Or go out to the vehicle and pick it up. Give them a few minutes, go back and grab it. I don't you should not be able to go in a circle because the thing is is that's telling me that you're allowing that for vulnerability. That means you're now asking somebody they, they can hook up their personal PC and access your guest network by going through your OWA and other things that can now expose your entire company to whatever that computer is infected with. Like because we don't scan every computer that we hook up to our network. We should. And you know that's another thing. If you hook up anything to your to your environment, scan it first. So you hook up a Raspberry Pi that's going to run a 3D printer or hook up a printer, for that matter, to your network. Scan it first. Scan it for vulnerability. Um, make sure the thing's locked down. Make sure it doesn't have anything available. If anything, if you have some of these machines that you know you don't want connected to Wi-Fi, rip the, rip, take the, the Wi-Fi card out of them. So now they'll only work via you know, um, a thumb drive or via network network, network card. To make sure that they're not reaching through certain networks and certain places where they shouldn't be and everything's connected on its own environment. If you look at a, a cell of printers or something like that, you should see a, a center switch with cables going to each and every printer, with one single cable hooking up to the, the, the PC in the center that's running a dual node. You know, that machine is only for that environment, only be allowed to work in that environment. However, there's still a master master line running from that center switch back to the firewall that'll allow you to go out and grab whatever you need to from the intranet. <clears throat> and the thing is, above that level, everything is severed. Until you go and pull from your main firewall, only aligned to your intranet, and only allows intranet traffic. It doesn't allow in outside traffic. Only intranet traffic. Which means now I can pull stuff from a, from a, from a, from a company-hosted SVN server, Unless I allow specific rules through that firewall to allow me to an SVN, which means I'm going to GitHub or whatnot. However, your company should have their own GitHub, so you should be able to point it to that through your intranet. It's still part of your intranet; it's just locally hosted. It's just you know cloud hosted through through their particular environments. That's how I would break it down as far as coming into a shop floor sense, you know, to protect that with using your guest connect because guest connect is one hell of a, a vulnerability because you don't know what's connected to it you don't know how it's connected you're not screen not you're not going through it but you're opening it up to be able to connect 
to you know things on your network and with that you still have machines that are connected to the switches that allow that traffic through it if you if you really wanted to separate i would put my guest connect and my production network or office network on two different on two different switches completely and i wouldn't even be laying because then you can't hop over there's no way that and i'd block that entire subnet if, if I knew I had a subnet for this many guest connect networks, I'd, I'd whitelist that, I'd blacklist that entire subnet. So now you can't get into my network. Yep. I think the other thing to consider is, uh, I, I mean, I know we all are busy, you know, in today's uh, work environment, but I would also consider like uh, maybe subscribing to like SAN so that you can get, you know, uh, vulnerability alerts. Or if you don't have time for that, maybe you look at getting some type of vulnerability scanner that can uh, do a scan of your network um, just to see. And then, uh, you know, like I said, the, the one other thing I would highly recommend is back up all configurations for printers. Back up all of your, make images of all of your uh, hardware devices for, excuse me, not hardware devices, like your PCs or your laptops. I want to make an, uh, a backup for that because you, there is um, even air gap systems get compromised, so there there is it's very highly likely that you will be compromised sometime in the future. But if you are, you just wipe that system out and take the image and re uh, dump the image back in there. Same thing with your printers, you know. Uh, make uh, backups of uh, all the uh, configurations and files that are uh, pertinent for that particular printer. Uh, store them some way, somewhere that is not connected to the internet, period. Mm -hmm. So, you you know, it's a, it's a concept of code, a hot site, so we'll say it this way. Uh, I would have one set of all my images on one drive that I am highly uh, confident in that is uh, SSD, and I would put it in maybe a safe deposit box, and then I would have one on site yeah. that I can pull from just in case. Mm -hmm. I can see that, and you know that that's you know hot and cold is, is is definitely you know something I think that's forgotten about. You know you also you, you have the primary backup situation going on where you know it's cut over, non cut over. However, you know when it comes down to backups, offsite cold store but cold, cold shot backups is great. You know I think you got companies out there like Iron Mountain that'll do it for you. You know hold all that for you. You know just in case something does happen. I'll say this, if you're still putting stuff on tape drive, we may not have enough conversation. Um, but... Oh, no. They're going to be very... It's very unlikely they'll be compromised. Right, exactly. Freaking you have a nuclear war, and guess what's going to remain? Tape backups. Yeah. Um, but, like you said, you know, put them someplace where they can't be compromised. You know, if you know you have to back up you know your laptops on a on a routine basis, especially if you're doing it like in a in a, in a, in a, in a, a manufacturing environment or an office environment or something like that. Keep those laptops overnight from your employees. Back them up onto a NAS that is not connected to your network. And and the reason for having the hot and the cold site is necessarily not necessarily having two, just having two copies in two different places. It's in the event of natural disaster, mm -hmm. the house burned down or something. Right. I mean, at least uh, you have insurance to cover the hardware and, and recover new printers. But if you had certain configurations set up for a specific 
part that you're printing that's part of your business uh, portfolio, then you would not want that to be at the place if some thing happened like a fire or a flood or something of that nature. Right. And, you know, with that, I would want to do a possible cloud backup solution mm -hmm. because I would want to do a, an on-site, on-prem backup solution and then partner with AWS or Azure or one of those guys to back up all of my company backups onto a cloud environment that is constantly replicated. You know, I, you know, something that's, you know, maybe not in the U.S., you know, I would say, okay, cool. I would rather have, or if I do a dual cloud backup solution, I'll have one cloud backup solution in the U.S., and I'll have it replicated to another cloud solution somewhere in, you know, like Lithuania or something like that, mm. you know, or Sweden, um, you know, where things are protected a little bit better. Or, that the, but the thing is, it's less likelihood that something's going to happen to them. Right. You know, if that's if that's the way that you want to go, the cloud solution is, is one heck of a backup way. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think that, you know, it's also a way that's not... I guess you could say, seen that much, I guess, and people kind of look down upon it. I don't like using cloud-connected um, uh, you know, printers. I think that's just a complete joke. Um, however, I think they, they, some people, you know, your, your regular homemakers, they may have their place. However, for, for industrial applications, I think cloud is kind of a, you know, cloud-connected printers where you can only use their software in the cloud is a joke. That needs to be on a local machine where you can do everything you need to do and back up your STLs to right. the cloud at that point. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I guess the only, I mean, the, the cloud is a is a really good solution too. Like I said, the only, the, the, the only reason I lean more toward having a physical backup of both is because there is the one one thing is air gapped. It is an air gap system mm -hmm. as long as it's not connected to the the uh, internet. Um, the other thing is is Although clouds are replicated and although clouds are probably one of the most securest things that you can have because we have other technologies that are working with those cloud-based systems, that uh, the reality is that anything that is connected to the Internet is susceptible to some type of uh, um, compromise because of nation states and mm -hmm. um because of hacker networks and so forth, so it not to scare anybody. It it wouldn't it wouldn't be it would be wise to have the cloud base so that you can you know readily just hey I can go right now I don't have to drive somewhere to get something. Right. But it would also be wise to have it just as a fail safe. An option, in, an option, yeah. In, yeah, in the event that is you know one of those you know. Uh, zero day type of yeah. events and that, that that's something that you know definitely is is a, is a big deal the zero day incidents you know i think that's that's something that you know is, is definitely you know one of those that's like oh yeah we need we need to worry about that now there's almost another way of doing things if you know you can pull the hard drives on your machines um buy backup hard drives for all of your machines and load the hard drives prematurely and keep them in um, anti-static bags. Keep them in a safe someplace. So something. So if you do have a zero-day incident, all now you have to do is just pop the hard drives into your machines and update. And then you're back up and running 
you know, within minutes, but also keep an application backup folder, you know, inside that, that same safe that has a, the hard drive full of your applications on it, where and all your your current working documents. And you know, that's the thing and also, you know, if you are using a cloud attached zero day solution, you can always go back and pull your files that you've been working on, you know, through an SVN someplace that's completely locked down. You know, out of out of, out of touch because most SVNs. The good thing about SVNs is they use OTP, um, so it's most of them do at least. I know I go to I know GitHub uses OTP, um, where it's like a TFA, two-factor authentication system. So it is protecting your data at all costs and at all levels, which is pretty nice. Um, very few breaches in, in in their application software set subset. But you know, the good thing is is I think that you know everything that we're talking about. Is pre- presentable or preventable? I should guess you say, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but it's, you know, you've heard us talk about, you know, the awareness side of the house, and most of this comes from the awareness. And I think that if you know, if we can build an awareness program, you know, that that balances the fact of you know fear mongering, and you know usage. I, th- I think we're we're on the right path here. Yeah, and I, w- I would say, and uh, just to get uh, close to wrapping this uh, episode up, um, <clears throat> the main the main thing is is being uh, uh, diligent. You know, you 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 have to uh, pay attention to uh, things that are connecting to your network, in particular. Um, also. Uh, you have to know what files you're running on your system. So these are some things you should already know. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as you do those type of things, I think that at least you're better off than most. Yeah. Don't download enough and you shouldn't be downloading. Yeah. You know, we've seen that, I think, many, 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 many times. Is just stop downloading crap. You know, if it looks good, sounds good, and they say download it, guess what it probably is? Too good to be true. You know, me and Ed have worked in the manufacturing environment a little bit long enough where it's, if it says, oh, this will change your processes, don't download it because it ain't going to change your processes. Well, it may change, just not the way you want it to be changed. Right. <laughs> you may go in reverse. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, that's always something is, is don't fall for the fool's gold, you know. And, and that, that one thing is, I'll tell you this right now, you got so many people out there, you know, non-state actors that are trying to go after some of these manufacturing environments, even smaller companies, mom and pop shops, that to steal what they want to steal and put on Alibaba. Um, it, it's just it's it's one of those things of where, yeah, don't don't fall for it. Mm-hmm. Don't fall for it. if you back it up with us, it's a hundred percent guarantee. Do you know where that's going? Um, and always check the page sources, please. Like, if you see something that says, hey, look, I'm TLS and all this stuff, and you don't see the SSL icon in the upper left-hand corner, no, please don't do that. You know, or at least check the page source. They may have had an issue with their certificate, which sometimes happens. But check the, um, uh, the page source. And if you're looking at the reviews on certain pieces of application and it seems like it's the same person, just with a different name, it probably is. I couldn't tell you. I, I, you've probably seen it, Ed, that you look, you look at some of your reviews and it's like, oh, this is great. Great it is. 
best I've ever used. It's all within the first, like, month. Yeah. And it's all the same guy, usually, but with a different name. Yeah. Part of those social engineering techniques. Yeah. Yeah, or it's just, you know, flat out people lying through through their teeth and, you know, paying for reviews, which, all right. You want to pay for reviews? Be my guest. However, that may, that tells me your application is completely untrustworthy. Mm-hmm. And you know, if it says we've updated our our, our application, you're still at, at version one dot one. You didn't update anything. You did a minor revision. You have to be at least two or more. So understand the difference between um, major revision and minor revision. You know that's something that I think uh, we'll ha- we'll probably do an episode on. Is talk about revision history and SVN, um, where we kind of talk about what is a minor release and what is a major release, um, just so people can understand what that means. Um, but I, I don't know. It's that's just me. I'm, I'm kind of anal when I see release numbers. And I would say, uh, you know, uh, also look at your equipment. If your equipment is 15 years old, uh, maybe it's maybe time. it's time to send it out to pasture. Or get something, you know, if your network equipment is 15 years old, I mean, maybe it's time to, you know, invest in getting some new equipment. Yeah, and it's really not that expensive. I'll tell you one thing, freaking ubiquity is great. Low cost, low overhead, easy use, easy use of the equipment here. You don't need to be all certified and, you know, like like Cisco to be able to use a darn thing. You can you can fall it on your, on your thing, and I, I guarantee you I could teach, teach, you know, my family how to use it. My family is not very tech friendly. Um, you know, they're they're like anti tech. You know, they they understand it, but they're terrible at it. Um, so I, I don't know if you if you would call that anti tech, but it'd be like just anti learn. Um, but you know that that's just here nor there. You know, I, and you know I kind of you know hope for the best for people. I come down to the down to equipment. If you have any questions on that type of stuff, definitely reach out. We can definitely point you in the right direction. Or at least into a direction, I should say. You know, that makes sense. So, you know, I, I think we'll go ahead and, you know, wrap up there. Um, I just want to say thank you. Um, last numbers I checked, I think we're at 1,735 listens so far. You know, y'all, we're, 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 we're having fun with it. We're growing. We enjoy it. Um, you know, go check out the YouTube channel. There's some stuff going on there. Um, or soon will be. Uh, we got we got a pretty good project coming, you know, that we think that everybody will be interested in. Um, so, um, other than that, also, I guess uh, you know we, we were talking about earlier. You never know; you might see uh, us doing something crazy. You know, we're thinking about starting up a, a secondary fun YouTube channel called Volcanara Eats. You know, we you know go out and try different restaurants and. You know, bring back different takeout and kind of see how it is and compare them one to another. You know, so if you're ever interested in that, you know, go over there, get ready for that. Um, you know, stand by and, you know, see how things go. You know, I appreciate every single one of y'all. You know, um, you know, bottom of my heart, you know, we wouldn't be doing this without y'all. We wouldn't be traveling without y'all, you know, wanting to learn some of this stuff. You know, we're definitely going to be going, possibly going up to South Tech up in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, you know, up there for that event. You talk to there, so hopefully we can do up there and talk to Fanuc. You know, and a couple of those guys, what they do. You know, and see if we can't get them involved. Um, so, but, you know, other than that, you know, we enjoy, we enjoy you. We're glad you're here. I'm going to turn over to, to Ed for parting words. Awesome. Uh, 
just like to say the same thing that Nick said. You know, we appreciate all the support. We appreciate people listening to us. Uh, if there are questions or if there are requests, uh, we're open to uh, questions and requests. Uh, if you guys would like to uh, meet up uh, when yeah. we go to uh, uh, Greenville, uh, we'll be open to uh, maybe meet some of you guys and have a maybe a meet and greet or uh, maybe we'll just meet at the convention and, uh, you know, uh, see see some of the people that are listening to us and maybe y'all can see us. Uh, uh, but uh, we do appreciate all of the uh, support and uh, stay tuned. Hi, y'all. Have a good one. That's all for this episode of Tech at Lunch. Thanks for tuning in and joining us for this tech-filled lunch break. We hope you enjoyed the show. And don't forget to subscribe on all channels. And also, you can find us on YouTube under Volcanar Technology Solutions. And join us for our next episode, which gets published every Wednesday at 8 a.m. All right, y'all. Have a good one. See you later.